Sorry about that. Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier during the welcoming introduction, uh, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, the theme for this second Sunday of Advent is love. And the candle that we are going to be lighting today, uh, in addition to uh, relighting the shepherd's candle that we lit last week, um, or the, uh, the prophecy candle, rather, sorry, that we lit last week, the candle that we're lighting this week is called the Bethlehem candle. And as we listen to uh, scripture readings uh, this morning, are going to be done by the Vandervan family, um, we are invited to uh, remember the greatest gift of love that was ever given. The eternal uh, Son of God himself came to us as a lowly baby in a manger. He came to be the Savior of the world. He is Emmanuel and he is God with us. We're the Vandervans. I'm Mike. This is Anna. I'm Amanda and this is Leah. Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. His reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. 
After me will come one more powerful than I, the, thong, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Please stand and join us in worship. All right, I'll try to pray over my screaming baby. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning. Thank you that we can gather as your children to worship you. COVID has given us a new perspective on worshiping together in many different ways, but it's definitely renewed our joy of meeting together to worship. Thank you that you are a God who is worthy to be worshiped and are jealous for our praise. We confess that our praises are often half-hearted and distracted, so continue to renew our joy and wonder so that we can worship you with our whole hearts. Thank you for being a God of grace, 
one that loves us despite our unworthiness, and thank you that through Christ you accept our praises, prayers, and offerings. Continue to work in our hearts so that we become more and more like you and that those around us, our colleagues, neighbors, and friends can see you in and through us. God, we thank you for our church family. Help us to be a family that puts others' interests before our own and is looking for ways to bless, encourage, and support each other. Many people are struggling, struggling during these anxious and uncertain times. Give us words and tangible ways that we can encourage one another and help us to fully place our hope and our joy in you. Give wisdom to our leaders as they try to navigate the best way to help and maintain our health, mental health, economy, and many other things. These are not easy times, and we pray for wisdom for each of us as well as we want our community to flourish. Give us eyes and hearts for not only our family and friends, but also our neighbors and specifically those in this community in Dundas. There are many small businesses and restaurants here. Cause our town to flourish, Lord. God, we grieve with the news of the Strickland family from West Highland with the tragic loss of their son, Jude. It's hard to make sense of this, and it makes me want to cry just thinking of losing a son. Give their family and the West Highland community so much peace. Please also continue to be with Myrnie, who continues to struggle with various health issues. Thank you for the joy in her spirit, but give her much peace and patience as physically she continues to not feel great. We thank you so much for her and who she is to us. God, we give you praise for several specific things this morning. Thank you that James Feenster could get some tests on his heart and that everything looks good. We also give you so much praise that Leanna Campstra finally got her license back. It's been a long wait, but we are overjoyed that she can now get out a bit. We also give thanks for um, little Logan Park um, and, yeah, just his birth last night. Thank you that Elliot and Amelia are doing well and just be with their family as they transition to being a family of three. Thank you for Knox Church and that it works out for us to worship here. We are so thankful that they've allowed us to worship in their building. Thank you also for life groups and what a blessing they already have been to many people in our church. It's easy to get discouraged when certain doors close, such as engage groups, but so amazing when other doors and opportunities are opened. Please use the life groups powerfully in our community to strengthen our faith and to reach out to others, whether we are meeting creatively in real life or over Zoom. Be with Mark now as he teaches us from your word. Fill him with your spirit and move in our hearts to transform us by your word and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. 
When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm." Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke, them, broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, hello again, everyone. Um, so today, we are going to be continuing our sermon series as we're working through the Bible and tracing the thread of God's uh, great redemption plan throughout history. And this morning, we arrive at the story of Daniel in the lion's den, um, which is such a great story 
There's just so much here to talk about, and so I'm excited to get to talk about it with you this morning. Actually, I'm going to move up here real quick. <laughs> All right. Um, if you were here last week, uh, or you watched the sermon online, um, you might remember that we heard a prophecy from Isaiah that he was delivering to the people of Judah who were about to get conquered by the Babylonian Empire and carried off into exile. Um, Daniel, the main character in our story today, would have been a young man in Judah at that time. Um, and so uh, he would have remembered that prophecy, and he himself was one of the ones who was carried off into Babylonian exile. And so he has grown up, he has spent most of his life in Babylon, in this faraway land. It's been 60 some odd years by the time the events of our text today roll around um, that he's been in, uh, in exile. And um, the Babylonian Empire has recently been overthrown um, and the Medo-Persians are now in charge with the Median king Darius uh, being king over the empire. And Daniel has caught Darius's eye. Right? He's worked his way up the ladder, and he is now one of three governors uh, over the whole empire under the king. And that's uh, where our text picks up this morning. But um, again, if you were here last week or if you saw the sermon last week, you might remember that um, I made the connection between exile in the Bible and the life of Christians today. It's because Exile as a category in the Bible is roughly analogous to the life in this temporal world for the people of God. And that's very appropriate for today because Daniel perfectly exemplifies the tension between living in this world while not being of this world, as God calls all of us to do. Right? Daniel shows us what it looks like to be a faithful exile. Um, and so in addition to this being just a great story, this chapter also really challenges and encourages and instructs us about what it looks like to live faithfully as exiles. And so under that theme, we're going to look at uh, three marks or three characteristics of faithful exiles as demonstrated by Daniel. Uh, the first of which is the fact that faithful exiles make excellent citizens. All right, you may be thinking, uh, Daniel is an exile. He is a, uh, he's a slave or a prisoner, really, right? So by definition, uh, he's not actually a citizen of the land that he currently lives in, and that's technically true, because Daniel's uh, true citizenship was in Israel. Uh, but in spite of that, we see that Daniel is uh, participating in civic life at the highest level levels as a civil servant. And likewise, uh, we too, though we have a true citizenship as God's people, an uppercase C citizenship in the new earth, in eternity with a, with a true king, yet in the here and now, we have a small C citizenship here in this world, and we are called to be fruitful and faithful members of the communities that we live in. But I'll come back to this. So we'll talk about Daniel some more. Daniel, uh, as we enter our text, we see that Daniel has proven himself uh, to be so trustworthy and so capable that Darius has apparently announced 
a plan to make Daniel the sole overseer of the wealth of the entire empire. Um, And this gets the ball rolling on the action that drives our plot, because in verse 4, we see that this this announcement that Darius has made, um, at this, the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So though they desperately wanted to take him out, Daniel's track record in both his public and private life were so squeaky clean uh, that his enemies couldn't find a single thing that they could use to compromise his reputation. In verse 3, we're told that he had an excellent spirit in him. And this is, uh, he's the kind of man that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament calls above reproach. Right? And Daniel was essentially an accountant for the king. His job was to make sure that the wealth of the kingdom was being used as efficiently as possible so that, as verse 2 tells us, the king would not suffer loss. So it would seem that Daniel was in charge of assessing and signing off on the budgets of all of the governors of the various regions within the empire uh, to prevent waste and corruption. Now, as an exile... Daniel would have had every human reason not to care about the well-being of his captors, right, and their, uh, and their empire, right? If anything, you would think that he might be more motivated to undermine the empire at every opportunity. And certainly that's what his enemies were hoping for. But instead, Daniel manages the kingdom's resources with such diligence that he becomes known as as the most trustworthy and incorruptible civil servant in the entire empire. He was an exceptional man characterized by exceptional faithfulness in everything he did. And so we need to know uh, what was his motivation for this. Right? What possible reason could Daniel have had to protect the interests of his captors as though they were his own? Well, what we see in Daniel's life, both in, through the entire narrative portion of this book, but also in this chapter, is that Daniel's life is shaped by obedience to God's Word. Every aspect of it. And even though he's been in exile his whole life, he has not forgotten who he ultimately serves. And so all of his actions in the story are explained by this. And we actually, we read elsewhere in the book of Daniel that uh, Daniel had a copy of at least a portion of the prophecy of Jeremiah, and he was pouring over it, and he was very influenced by it. And it's interesting that the, the chapter that he quotes later also contains this verse. This is from Jeremiah 29, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so Daniel was exceptional in everything he did because he had not forgotten the word of the Lord. Everything that he did was motivated by his commitment to obeying God's words. Now Daniel is presented to us here in Scripture as an unusually pious individual, right? I mean, he, he certainly puts me to shame, and I'm sure that he puts most of you to shame as well. But it's still worth asking the question, 
whether or not our lives are shaped by our obedience to Scripture in such a way uh, that our friends, that our neighbors, that our co-workers would see it in our conduct, that they would see it in our care for the well-being of others. Because God calls us, too, to seek the welfare of the places that we have been placed in. But back to the story. Daniel's enemies couldn't find anything in his uh, service to the kingdom with which to hang him. So instead, they had to turn to the very thing that Daniel's uh, excellent character and service flowed from. And that was the fact that Daniel believed that he served his God above King Darius. And so the only way to get him to cross Darius would be to pit him against Daniel's God in a glory war. Daniel's enemies knew that if they could somehow make it illegal for Daniel to obey his God over Darius, they would finally have him right where they wanted him. But it wasn't just because he was such an upstanding citizen that they came to know this. Um, They came to know that Daniel's character flowed from his faith also because he had not gotten comfortable in exile. This is the second point. The second point is that faithful exiles do not get comfortable Right, Though he had faithfully and was continuing to faithfully participate in the culture of his captors, he had not assimilated into that culture. Right, He had not adopted their values, their identity, their religions. He refused to give up that which set him apart as one of God's people in order to avoid tension in the land in which he was living. While he didn't flaunt it, Daniel practiced his religion openly. In verse 10, we read that three times a day, that's three, uh, three times a day, Daniel gets down on his knees at his window facing Jerusalem and prays to the God of Israel. And so what's going on here? And I, I think that this is yet again more evidence that Daniel's life is completely shaped by his obedience to Scripture because um, if we go back in time to the building of the temple in Jerusalem, King Solomon uh, dedicates the temple and he prays this prayer, looking ahead, imagining all the future possible um, circumstances of the Israelite people. And he prays this. He prays, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, to the city you have chosen, and to the house I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. See, though Daniel was just a boy when he was taken from Jerusalem and from the temple, he was still clinging to the promises attached to them. Daniel had full confidence that God would hear his prayers and maintain his cause even while he was far away in exile. And now the specific contents of Daniel's prayer uh, in this text is not supplied here in this chapter. But it's interesting if we look elsewhere in the book that after this chapter, the, the chronological narrative portion of the book ends and the book becomes a collection of uh, visions and prophecies and prayers that Daniel had or spoke over the course of his life in exile. 
And chapter 9 is this prayer, this awesome uh, recording of this prayer for national repentance and for the people of Judah to be restored to their God and to their land. And that chapter opens with these words. This is Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the king of Ahasuerus, or the son of Ahasuerus, rather, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So, by that little bit of context, we know that this prayer would have been recorded around the same time that these events are taking place. And so, whether or not the, the prayer in chapter 9 is the exact words of the prayer that uh, Daniel prays in this chapter, at the very least, we have an example of the content of Daniel's prayers at this point in his life. Right? He was praying for deliverance and for restoration to the land that God had given them. He had by no means given up hope of returning to his true home. Even after all these years, and despite the success that he currently enjoyed, he would give it all up in a heartbeat for the opportunity to return home. And that is notable because many of his people had long since given up on that hope. And it's evidenced by the fact that Cyrus, king of Persia, who follows Darius, um, he is the one who eventually frees the, the Israelite people and tells them they can return home to their land. And he sends them back uh, with building supplies to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple there. Um, so they have everything that they need, everything they could possibly want. And yet, a bunch of people opted out of going back. These people had assimilated into the culture of their captors and gotten comfortable. They didn't see the point of going back or going through all the hassle of traveling all that way and rebuilding their city and their temple. They had given up their true identity. They were no longer people set apart for relationship with God. They were satisfied just becoming Persians. And you see, there is great danger in becoming too comfortable in exile. If we neglect the promises of God, we can begin to think that maybe this isn't so bad, right? And over time, we can become numb to all of the evidence that this isn't what we've ultimately been made for. If we neglect the promises of God, we can fall in love with the shiny things of this life in such a way that the promise of eternity and glory starts to feel kind of flat to us. C.S. Lewis uh, captured this perfectly in The Weight of Glory, where he wrote this. He wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And one way to check, to check this in our own hearts is to review the content of our prayers. Are we like Daniel are we concerned with the repentance of God's people? Are we uh, concerned for his kingdom to come? Are we concerned for his glory to be known throughout the whole world? Or is the exclusive focus of our prayers 
on ourselves and our own immediate needs in the here and now. And I'm not saying that praying for personal needs is wrong because it's not. We are commanded to do so. But is our motivation for having those personal needs met so that we can better live as faithful exiles or so that we can be more comfortable in our exile? Daniel refused to allow himself to become satisfied with life in a faraway land, even though as someone with his position, he would have lacked nothing. But when faced with the choice, as we see, between his own safety and comfort and serving his Lord and Savior, Daniel didn't even think twice. This brings us to our third point, which is that faithful exiles are courageous, even as Daniel shows us in the face of death. And now I know that sounds dramatic, right? And you maybe even think, well, you don't understand the kind of fear that I feel, right? But by courage, when I say faithful exiles are courageous, by courage, I don't mean the absence of fear. I'm talking about the resolve to obey despite our fear, Right? Faithful exiles confidently obey God, even when they are terrified, as Daniel must have been at the prospect of being torn to shreds by hungry lions. Right? Faithful exiles are not stoics. If you think that, you need to read a few of the Psalms. Right? We have real doubts, we have real anxieties, we have real fears. But ultimately what makes someone a faithful exile is the willingness to let God have the last word rather than our emotions. And so, we read in verse 10 that when Daniel learned that this law had gone into place, uh, had gone into effect, that it couldn't be reversed, he went home and did what he always did. He went straight to his Uh, Jerusalem-facing window, he knelt down and he prayed, knowing full well that this meant death for him. And sure enough, his enemies were waiting for him under his window, and they scurried off to King Darius to uh, report Daniel and secure his destruction. Um, And Darius walks right into their trap, you know, he confirms that the edict has in fact been enforced and that it cannot be altered by anyone, including himself. And then they drop the bomb on him, and this is Daniel 6.13. They say, uh, they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, and it's interesting that they identify him that way, as one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed but makes his petition three times a day. See, by the time Darius realized what was actually going on, it was far too late to do anything about it. And verse 14 says that he was much distressed and that he labored until sundown to try and find a way around having to actually go through with this. But Daniel's enemies weren't about to let that happen. And so... Finally, and reluctantly, Darius made the call to have Daniel thrown into the pit. But it's incredibly interesting because 
The reason Daniel's getting thrown into the lion's den is because he violated a law, which was that no one could pray to anyone or any god other than Darius for 30 days, right? And so in effect, Darius the king had um, elevated himself to godlike status. And now here he realizes he is powerless to save Daniel. And so what does he resort to? Essentially, his last words to Daniel amount to a prayer to Daniel's God, essentially. What does he say? He says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Those are his parting words to Daniel as he rolls the stone over the top of the lion's den. And we read that Darius couldn't eat or sleep that night. He refused distraction. He just laid awake and worried about Daniel all night, which is also interesting because you have this, uh, this battle-hardened emperor who's making his way across the known world, conquering everything in sight. Uh, he has such concern for this little, this, this Jewish exile man who he, he had no other, he had no real good reason to like Daniel that much. And so I, I just feel like this is an, a, another testimony to the excellence of Daniel's character. But whatever the case, Darius stares at the ceiling all night long, incredibly worried. And then when the sun begins to come up, he runs to the lion's den. And uh, as he's arriving, he calls out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And remember, uh, Darius hadn't had very good luck with deities and gods as of late, including himself. And so I don't think his expectations are too high when he asks, has your God been able to rescue you? But to his great surprise, Daniel shouts back, this is uh, verse 22, 21. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Now these are incredible words if we're paying attention, right? God has shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed Daniel. Why? because I was found blameless before him, okay? I know that Daniel comes off in this story as being incredibly, uh, unattainably righteous, right? But he is still a sinful human man. And like every other exemplary character in Scripture, he could not make a claim to be blameless before God based on the righteousness of his own thoughts uh, words and actions. Not a single one of us could make that claim either. No, Daniel is found blameless before God for the very same reason that we are. His faith is in a God who said that he is going to make a way for his people to be reconciled to him. Daniel's faith is in this promised Messiah to come, and even though he doesn't know what this is going to look like, he knew that a truly blameless one was coming and that he would not be spared. Rather, he would be crushed for our iniquities, as the prophet Isaiah had said, so that we could be called blameless as well. Jesus, like Daniel, knew what awaited him if he went forward in obedience to the Father. And he chose to do it anyway 
because of his great love for you and for I. And Hebrews 2 tells us that in his death, Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, in order to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He did not just temporarily shut the jaws of lions for us. He broke the jaws of sin and death and Satan once and for all. And that is the promise that Daniel was clinging to. That is the truth that he staked his life on. And this is what gave him the courage to stand firm despite the threat to his own life. He knew that not even death could separate him from the amazing love that his God had for him. My friends, we live in exile for the time being. And we are commanded by the Father We are set free by the Son. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to seek the good of the places that we live in, to retain our identities as people set apart for the worship of the living God, and to do all of this with joy-filled courage, confident in the knowledge that the creator and sustainer of all life holds our lives in his very hands. This was the truth that Daniel clung to. And this is the truth that we cling to as well. Let's pray. Good and gracious Father, we praise you for the immeasurable, uncontainable, unimaginable love that you have shown to us in Christ. Father, press this truth deep into our hearts in such a way that we would stand courageously in the face of our fears, Lord, even of death. Use us, Lord, to bring about the well-being and the flourishing of the places that you've planted us in. Help us to cling to your promises and to never compromise our true identities as your children. Father, we pray that you would be glorified throughout this world, through us, just like you were through Daniel. We thank you, Jesus, our one and only hope. Amen.